In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Chloe, our eldest, loves to learn. She's a voracious reader, and she loves to share fun facts she's learned. In fact, her kindergarten teacher, uh, after the first few weeks, several years ago, said to us, she kind of reminds me of Norm from the TV series Cheers. She always rushes in and says, did you know? And she lays on you some rather interesting fact. Um, she did this to us this last week at the dinner table. Uh, she said, did you know that there was a queen in Egypt who died in her 20s from a snake bite? And we said, are you talking about Cleopatra? She said, oh, yes, that's who it was. And I said, oh, that's fascinating. I, I didn't know that. Um, where did you learn this? Oh, I was reading about it in a book at school. And I said, well, good for you. So kind of on our mind are all these little fun facts. So in that same, uh, same sentiment, I have a fun fact for you this morning. Did you know that while most of us answer the phone, if you answer it at all these days, uh, with the word hello, it wasn't always the case. Alexander Graham Bell, when he invented the telephone, thought that people would answer the phone by saying, ahoy. <laughs> Apparently it was a bit too nautical, and so it was Thomas Edison who then suggested the word hello. But did you know that not everybody in their own language answers the phone with hello. They actually all do so a bit differently. The Russians apparently pick up the phone and say, I'm listening, which sounds rather ominous, but <laughs> apparently is a normative phrase. The Italians say ready, which also seems quite quintessential for them and their personality. Uh, the Germans apparently pick up the phone and introduce themselves with their last name. So you identify who's on the other end. And the Portuguese essentially say, I'm here. Kind of raises a rather interesting question. How do we answer God? How do we respond to him? Um, I've been on this rather interesting, uh, uh, just devotional journey in my own walk with the Lord, um, perhaps through the lectionary recently. Uh, this is the second passage this morning um, that we've encountered perhaps in the past six weeks that includes the phrase, here I am. About a month, six weeks ago, we get that in the call of Samuel, you might recall. Um, we encounter it here with Abraham. We get it from the earliest pages of scripture all the way through Ananias and Acts. Here I am. It's a good phrase to dwell on. In fact, uh, it's a very good phrase to dwell on all of our lives, but arguably more so in Lent. Um, it's a posture that scripture reminds us throughout that this is a way in which we not just address the Lord as we'll look at, but as we do so, um, it, it should do something in us or it should require something of us if we utter those words or we try to embrace those words with our lives. So I'd actually like for us to look at Genesis 22, um, interestingly not in the sacrifice of Isaac, while we'll see that along the way, but more, if you've noticed as you go through this, there's three times that Abraham says, here I am. And they're in three different places, and each one perhaps presents to us a key to what that answer looks like, not just in, in our lips, uh, but more fully uh, in our lives, uh, to borrow that phrase, if you know what that is, from uh, the, the general thanksgiving in our tradition at the end of both morning and evening prayer. Let me show forth 
not only with my lips, but in my lives, by giving up myself to your service, as that prompts us to do. So we look at this opening uh, verse, and we'll just park this whole idea of testing. I'm not going there. Um, we'll, we can tackle that one another day. Um, fun fact, though, uh, that's the only time that word is presented in Genesis is here. Um, it's very rarely presented in the Old Testament. So did you know? But we'll, we'll address that another time in another place. But for our purposes, we see that when the Lord calls Abraham, this was an interesting uh, thing to reflect on as I was praying and working through this this week. One of the early church fathers says, pay attention to the details. God calls Abraham by name, which is obvious, but he calls him by the name that he has given him. So when God calls Abraham, he calls him by his name that God has assigned him, and that name contains within it the promise that he will be the father of many nations, as we know, in addition to having a land and a place and all those other promises from, from the early part of his call in Genesis 12. But it's interesting to note that as soon as God calls Abraham by his name, no sooner does Abraham say, here I am, then God quite literally asks him to lay down the very promise that his name holds. Quite literally. Go to the land of Moriah, and there take your son, your only son. That phrase will be bookended in this passage. Your son, your only son. It should let us think about where we're headed in this season. And offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain to which I shall tell you. Abraham doesn't speak again, but his actions, as the phrase goes, speak louder than anything he could say. In verse 3, he rises early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took his two young men with him and his son Isaac. He has the wood, he has the flint, he has everything he needs to go to the place that God told him. Not unlike in Genesis 12 in the original calling of Abraham, at that point of Abram, to a place that he doesn't yet know. The land of Moriah, um, in, in the language of the day, would, would roughly translate to, the, to Revelation, the land of Revelation. So there's kind of a play on words here that Abram's going to go to a mount in the land of Revelation where all will be revealed. And we see where that happens at the end of this passage. But to this point, that's unknown once more to Abraham. And yet, he goes. I think before we move into this next spot, there's something that is wonderful that reminds us that um, if our posture before the Lord, as we see throughout Scripture, is this phrase, here I am, what that signals first and foremost is a surrender to the Lord every time we utter those words or something like it. We're called to surrender ourselves to him, to lay those things down. Um, uh, it's a great practice if you've, if you've not embraced it um, to say these words, here I am at the start of every day. Um, that really couches your day. While my day may be full and I may feel as I have no control over it, if I say, here I am, Lord, I'm at least acknowledging that he is indeed, it's a posture of the heart, posture of the will, um, that I desire to be open to him, and I desire and deign to do what he may uh, purpose for me in the midst of that day. 
But we're, we're called not to just merely embrace these words with our lips as a, as a nice and tidy way, but we uh, do so with our lives, as Abraham points to, actually by action and not in response, particularly with his words after God commands him to do this. And so we're called to reflect on what might that surrender truly look like if I say, here I am, Lord. It may require those things of us to do the things that Jesus taught and commanded as Jesus points out himself in our gospel reading, requires sacrifice. It requires self-denial. It requires doing the sorts of things that he himself has done. Um, but more often than not, it requires this act of surrender of our will time and time again. It means that um, when I bump into all these offenses in life, here I am, Lord, I choose to move in forgiveness and leave vengeance to you which is a very hard action to do if we've ever worked in that. Um, it means, here I am, Lord, um, I actually believe you order my day, which is a scary thought because he will reorder your day if you actually embrace those words. And yet, at the end of the day, which is more often the case in my days increasingly, the one thing I had to do that didn't get done still is okay because I've done the one thing or the 10 other things that were what I needed to do that day. Um, it means that if I say, here I am, I do believe, as Scripture tells me, I'm a steward over what you've given me, not lord over my own life resources and things, um, that I actually have to put that in practice, especially and most especially at times when it's hardest. Here I am, Lord. What does that look like for you and for me? And in Lent, um, I'd encourage you to reflect on, if you say that, here I am, what area of your life is it that you kind of go... Well, that one's not so fun. And where might our own work be with the Lord towards that? What's that point that we're kind of, yeah, maybe not that one. And there's the work that we ask ourselves. What do I need to surrender? What's asked of me there? Um, maybe just the will to get there. Maybe we know what that is. Um, but laying down those things before the Lord. And the reason we do so is both for ourselves and for others, as we see um, in this second here I am statement in this passage, as we move a little bit further down in um, verses, well, we have verse seven before you, but in verse four and five leading up to it, after this three-day journey, we read, um, Abraham lifts up his eyes, he sees this place, this land, the mountain in Moriah that, that God has directed him. And he speaks for the first time here, instruction to the young men that are serving him, that are here with him. Um, Stay here, the boy and I will go over and worship, and we'll come again. And then there's silence as they take the wood and all they need, and Isaac and Abraham journey alone. And in verse 7, with childlike innocence perhaps, Isaac asks his father, my father, and here we hit the second here I am statement, here I am son. And his son says to him, Behold, I see the fire and the wood. I see everything we need, but we're lacking a sacrifice. And Abraham's response is from still a place of profound surrender and trust. As he says, and we read, God will provide for himself. God will provide for himself a burnt offering, my son. So they go on again in silence. All sorts of ink has been spilled by scholars. Does Abraham um, signal at this point, is Isaac carrying everything, realizing that maybe this is me? We don't know. 
Um, the, the text doesn't take us that far. It lets our minds wander. But ultimately, what we are to see here is that in an act of surrender, Abraham actually walks this out, not just in um, walking through the motions, but he also sees this as a sign um, to continue to point others toward, both for himself, perhaps, and for Isaac as well. It's a sign that points to them both that this surrender um, is something that involves a wholehearted trust. Trust that while we cannot see it, uh, in this case, Abraham doesn't yet see it, um, he still trusts God will provide, however that plays out. And so too with us when we think about those things. When we, when we truly surrender to the Lord those areas or we actually choose to show up to the Lord with here I am, and that's the posture of our heart, that becomes both a sign to us and to those around us of what that really means if we walk that out. Um, sometimes the next step is just the next faithful step, and we don't know where the rest of it goes. And that's okay. If we can stay in that place of wholehearted trust with the Lord, which is often the hardest place to stay, when we don't know where those things may be, where we don't know if I have to live according to what Jesus has told me to say and do and walk in, in times of uncertainty, it's a lot harder than in times when I have clarity. Or um, when I you know, uh, am prompted to give, it's much easier to do so, as a concrete example, when, when it's easier and I'm not worried about those things than in times when it's trying. Or harder when I have to offer my time to the Lord when that's the very last thing I really have to offer to anyone. So when we think about whatever those are, they become a sign not just to us. It's not always just an internal work, but that's where we show up and present to others, and we ourselves kind of become a sign to them of where rubber meets the road. You know, Christianity talks a lot about surrender and sacrifice, and so it should, but it should be to be a signpost to everyone else that we actually not just believe it, but we walk in it. And that's the greatest testimony that we can ever have. Truly, no amount of Christianese or Christian stuff we do uh, will win them over. What it does is when they see um, those signposts and they realize that, whoa, like Abraham, God will provide. Well, that's a pretty bold statement when whatever that provision may look like is totally unclear or asks of us these sorts of things um, that asks us to lay down, in some cases, uh, our will before the Lord, um, even in the moment, which may look like giving up a promise, even though we know that God is good on his promises always. So um, whatever those may be, um, that here I am moves us from this posture of surrender to really kind of being a sign and a signpost to others. The good news is uh, that there is resolution. And the resolution, as we see, comes at the end of this text in the last uh, here I am statement, which comes a little further down. After... They've had to literally lay the stones for the altar, go through those motions, lay the wood, bind Isaac. Abraham is not just in a posture. I mean, this is uh, perhaps more for our benefit um, just to see what this looks like. This isn't lip service. He's really to, willing to go through all the way down to the end with the action that God has called him to. It's not just, well, God will provide. It's going to work out in the end. I mean, it's, this is... This is one of the harder texts in Scripture, 
and, and we can always unpack it more. But the principle there is that our posture, um, which we should always be thinking, right? Um, and I always I butcher this phrase from Augustine up, but, but it's in the Old Testament that we see Christ revealed, right? And so as we're thinking about that, we should let our minds wander to that. Because the second um, statement that we see that bookends this reminds us of that. As Abraham is about to follow through, the angel, perhaps out of urgency, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. And then the instruction, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything, for I know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your son. Here it is, your only son from me. Our minds, as every Christian writer from uh, the other side of the cross will point, if that doesn't trigger something in your mind, it should. Who doesn't withhold his son, his only son, from us? God himself, who follows through on his promise down to the very end. And so we see this, this resolution here. Um, musically, I always think of this as kind of like a minor chord. You're just leaning in, waiting for harmony right at the end where you get, at least in the old hymns, there was always, oh. Man, you know, at the end, you're kind of like waiting. Okay, there it is. You know, no matter how wild the journey goes, there's going to hit this point where it just hits equilibrium. And it does here for us and for Abraham. Um, we know, of course, that God is always good on his promises. So there's no doubt about that. But we don't always know how his promises will turn out. He doesn't give us the directions on how the promise will be fulfilled, aside from the fact that he always fulfills them. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not. And so as we move through life, this posture of here I am, of surrender to the Lord, is assigned to us and to those around us um, to ultimately point them that we will see these things come to pass. And sometimes in God's goodness and his grace, we do see them. We do see those come to pass. That trust as we've prayed and prayed and prayed for clarity and it comes and we get to share with others the way in which God uh, laid it all out. We can't see it now, but that next step, that next step, that next step led to that. Or when we pray for healing and we get to point to, look, God healed in this situation. And, and God gives us those, I just believe, to spur us on. But we don't always get to see the resolution this side of the veil. And that's okay too, because we will see. And that's where our trust always comes in. We will see that. And if you ever doubt that, he gave his son, his only son, to be a sign to remind us that we will see that if we come to faith in Christ Jesus, that indeed all will be resolved uh, on that mount, on that final day, when we behold with our own eyes him, the lamb who is slain, caught in the thicket, that, that one who has nothing to do with any of this and yet steps in for our sake to bridge us back to God in a way that we never could do on our own, that there, there we will see all, all resolved on that mount of Moriah, that mount of revelation where we shall see with our own eyes and behold him who will set all things right. And so as we go through Lent, we're, we're reminded that what we're called to is truly to walk in the footsteps of Jesus always. Um, and that he gives us the grace to do that. And that even when we don't always get to see how that comes to pass, our hope is in Genesis to Revelation that God's always good on his promise. And so we hold on to the hope that we will see that. We will see that one day. And in the midst of it, we, we take 
heart and the things that we do see. And that's why we spur one another on. And that's why we point to the signposts along the way to remind ourselves of that, to remind one another of that. And we press on towards that end where all will be revealed on the Mount of Revelation, where he whom we have believed and clung to and cleaved to in this life, Jesus Christ our Lord, will be seen and will restore all things. And so in Lent, we're reminded to dwell on that. Keep that before you. And keep the posture of your heart open before the Lord to say, here I am daily as we await that promise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.